0: I know I'm getting old when I printed my sermon, and I uh, thought it's not very dark. So I have two copies, one in bold and one in plain it's font. I'm trying to decide, I thought I'd decide when I got up here whether I should use the, the uh, regular font or the plain one. I know it's not much of an introduction, um, but I do have one. Uh, uh, but we'll start with prayer. Father in heaven. Uh, as Jim prayed, I pray that my words uh, don't get in the way. I mean, we're going to read scripture soon uh, from Romans 6. We just heard from Galatians 3, which could have been our text this morning, or this afternoon. I pray that uh, we would see clearly what you have for us. Uh, Romans 6 uh, clearly is a a charge um, to act, and we pray that uh, this this afternoon, that this, uh, this service or this sermon, that th- these words could, could challenge us and could uh, move us uh, toward where you want us to be as men and women in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So nearly 500 years ago, probably um, 470, I suppose, if we're gonna get to uh, the Roman Catholic Church was at a crossroad Uh, The teaching at the core of the Protestant Reformation uh, challenged things like um, the sale of indulgences, the notion of purgatory, praying for the dead, um, placing tradition on par with scripture, and how the church viewed justification, the idea of faith and works, how we're saved. And so, um, the Roman Catholic Church uh, convened a council at Trent, uh, uh, the Council of Trent. It was uh, designed or or created to reply to the growing Protestant Reformation. And so, the series of meetings began in 1545, and I was just looking at to see how where Luther and Calvin kind of fit in when the Council of Trent occurred. And so the council convened the year before Martin Luther's death. And it ended 18 years later, which happened to be a year before Calvin's death. And uh, the two Vatican councils that happened during my lifetime, during some of yours, and somewhere in the, like the mid-60s and then late, and like 30 generation later, um, the declarations of this council have never been revoked by Rome. So what happened, it was a very, the Council of Trent was a significant council in, uh, in the Roman Catholic theology, they've, they've not, they, they still affirm what it said almost 500 years ago. Uh, the council decreed 30, so it took them 18 years to come up with 33 statements. It's not unusual for councils to last a long time. Um, and they called these statements canons. Uh, and they, I'm sorry, they had 33 statements called canons just concerning justification. My bad, they had more than, they had more than 33 canons. That was just on justification. They had a lot of, they had, they had to deal, deal with indulgences and everything else. Um, they did try to, they did compromise in indulgences. They said that indulgences Weren't good, but that the church still had the authority to do, to do it. Not really sure with it, but um, I'm concerned about justification. In other words, how we are made just or right before God. And this is was Canon 24, so number 24 out of the 33. If anyone says that the justice received is not preserved, and also increased before God through good works but that those works are merely the fruits and sign of justification obtained, but not the cause of its increase, let him be anathema. Now anathema means being like put out, that you're bad, excommunicated, banned, canceled. Right, kind of like what's happening, right? Cancel culture, so you're canceled, right? Which is a big deal. I mean, if, if Rome is the only church going, uh, you don't want to be canceled. Um, so, stated as a positive, they put it as a negative. I'll, what there's, Rome's view, just so you hear me, I know it's kind of a technical reading there, is that our justification before God is preserved and increased through good works. Now, surely the Apostle Paul seems to refute that notion in Galatians chapter three. Sue read um, part of it, I'm gonna jump to the beginning. He says, and if you have your Bible, certainly you can turn there. Uh, Keep me honest, this is Galatians three, the first three verses. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected by the flesh?" That seems to run contrary to what the Roman Catholic position was. And I thought, oh, how could the Roman scholars miss this? Their decree concerning justification is 16 chapters, I read through it, it's long, numerous references to scripture. Don't think that, the, that they didn't quote scripture, probably over 100 uh, references. Now they're also quoting the Apoc- Apocrypha and tradition, but over 90% of their references were from the Bible. But I searched all the references at least to see, you know, Did they talk about Galatians 3? They steered clear of Galatians 3 entirely. They instead refer to chapter five, verse six to bolster their argument. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. And I can understand why they would use that verse. It does seem to think, it says the only thing that counts, one English translation says, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. But the object here is faith. Love is just a modifier. It doesn't say that you're justified or saved according to love, but you're saved according to faith. And that's, you know, modified by love. Now, I wanna be clear, I'm not bashing Roman Catholic theology too heavily here. Um, I read it and I was pretty impressed with this document they are very clear that we are saved by grace. Very clear. So don't, I don't want to disparage Catholics completely. They believe that we're just saved by grace, just not by grace alone. That's the issue. Uh, Even Luther allegedly said we are saved by faith alone. He said we are not saved by, he said we are saved by faith alone, not by faith that is alone. So true faith is accompanied by good works and you can imagine that's what James says and um, James is quoted extensively in their, their theses on justification. It's James, 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 like crazy. In fact, I think it might be the reason that Luther knew that they were using James to refute his argument and felt that they misunderstood James, and even called James an epistle of straw. I think he went overboard there. I think what James is really saying is if you have a living faith, then it will be evidenced by good works. If your faith is dead, then you're not going to have any works to show. So real faith is accompanied by works, but it's not the works that, that increase our acceptance before God. It's the work of Christ is what allows us to be accepted before God. And so it's not my, my works that impress God and say, well, you know, you're, you're, yes, you've been saved by grace, but your good works make it even better. Because that's what the church is saying. I say the church Rome. I do think that, that Rome and the Reformers were closer than some may expect. But... Um, But here's my my thing. I I think that Rome didn't trust man. They didn't trust man. They didn't trust, ultimately, they didn't trust Paul's words in Scripture. My take is that if you tell man that he's saved by grace alone, then he's just going to think he can do whatever he wants. He'll have the license to sin. And I think the Apostles Paul uh, argument in Romans 6 answers this objection. And this is the proper response for, f- to explain how someone is saved by faith and why Paul can make this charge. So if you will, please stand for the reading of God's word. Um, I'm going to read in Romans 6 and I think I'm gonna read 11 verses. I should say, I think I am. What What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness. Of life for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is free from sin now if we have died with Christ we believe that we will also we shall also live with him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, I pray that your word uh, will ring true. I'm only going to talk about a little bit of it. There's so much here. I pray, though, that we can be challenged in a, in a good way uh, for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So in Romans, in the preceding chapter of Romans 5, we see how the reign of grace has replaced the reign of sin and death. But if the obedience of Christ alone is satisfied the Father's demand for justice... And my and great man, sin magnifies man, the grace of God even more. Then perhaps, why should we be concerned about the quantity of our sin? I mean, Paul's anticipating an objection, right? Because when you read the beginning, what shall we say then? Are we he's?
1: So it does seem, and
0: this is, I think, this is what Rome was afraid of. If we tell people that they're saved by grace alone, then. Wouldn't they be inclined to say, "Hey, I'm in," so it doesn't matter what I do? Furthermore, if I sin more than I'm showing, and God changes me, then I'm showing how great God's grace is. I mean, don't we love the testimony of someone who has like has this terrible past, right? And we we we, we give God glory. I was an alcoholic and a child abuser, and you know, and fill in the blank. Terrible things, right? That took control of a person. And we love to hear the story of God's grace changing, transforming that person. And so God is, Jesus is glorified in that, right? But Paul asks, so he asks, us, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And of course we know the answer. He says, by all means, no. Grace doesn't give us the license to sin. Of course not. I read in one sermon where the preacher, I was in my research, he said, Yeah, it does give you the license to sin, but why would you want to sin? Sin damages you. And while he's right that sin damages you, um, I don't think that's the argument that Paul's making here. Um, Luther, in his opening uh, summary statement of chapter six in his commentary on Romans, he he starts with a phrase that kind of summarizes the chapter. And he, and he says, says, the, the Apostle, this is very direct, uh, uh, the, the Apostle shows know, that we must not continue in sin, but, but live in holiness. holiness. There's a sense that I think the, the Rome misunderstood the Reformers and maybe Rome, and, and the Reformers misunderstood Rome. It seems like they probably could have got together and worked this out a little better. But But it's it's true true that 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 I think that they just didn't trust a theology that said you're saved by grace alone. They just didn't trust it. So Paul's saying, look, grace isn't a dispensation to sin. And in fact, he says we've died to sin. So if we've really died to sin, because becoming alive in Christ means we've died to sin, then why should we still live in it? And I kind of referenced this in my last sermon that I, I thought I was going to preach Romans 6 last time. I've been doing uh, morning devotion in, in Romans. Now I'm in 7, but I've been working very slowly through 6, 7, and 8. That was my plan. So now I'm in the middle of 7. And so a lot of what you're hearing this morning is kind of my, my devotion, my reflection. I'm trying to make this, you know, stuff that I feel, right, that I've experienced as I God's convicting me. So if I've died to sin, why should we still live in it? And he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ are baptized into his death? And what he says here in verse 4 struck me anew, and it's no pun because he going to say, is is that so we might walk in new, newness of life. A few years ago when I taught a Romans in Sunday school, maybe it's been more like, I don't know, four or five. I'm looking at my wife to see if I get some nonverbal uh, confirmation here. It's been a, but I, of all Romans, it seemed like the first two verses in chapter 6 really, of all the verses, challenged me the most. It just struck me if i died to sin why am i still living in it one of the things i'm doing in my devotion is when i'm 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 writing so i i copy i'm using my ipad i copy the verse and then i type and write what it's doing it's forcing me to meditate on god's word not just read it but think about it how does it apply to me and i'm trying to use personal pronouns first person instead it's easy to do a devotion and think. Well, God thinks we should do this and we should do that. And what, and what I'm trying to do is is read Scripture and say, what should I do? This is what I need to do. And so I focused in the past, on, in the past a few years ago, on his statement in verse one and two. But then, as I went through this devotion now, most recently last month it occurred to me, this notion of a new life. Baptism isn't merely symbolic of the new life. Being baptized into Christ means not only accepting the new life, but putting to death the old life. And so I confess that I want to cling to the passions of my old life. Selfishness, lust, greed, comfort, just as I declare I believe Jesus is Lord, do I declare that I renounce the old life, and I kept focusing on renouncing the old life, maybe I neglected, or what, what I've been impressed in my study of Romans 6, and I want to share with you this morning, is to embrace the new life. Not only do I need to hate sin, but I also need to love righteousness. Now, the and temptation is that that to look at Paul's explanation as a negative. Right. Don't, don't sin. Don't do it. this. Don't, don't do, do that. that. But Leon yeah, Morris yeah. is a more modern commentator. He, he said the, the Christian way is not negative. There is a death to an old way, it is true. But as the believer identifies with Christ in his death, he enters into newness of life. So I, I'm wondering if maybe a key verse for me, now, it was seen to be 1 and 2, now I'm going to go ahead and lean on verse 4. As a result of our union with Christ in his resurrection, we are to walk in newness of life. That means a new walk in Christ should be totally distinct from our former life, our life before Christ. We should develop transformed minds through God's Word so that our whole worldview lines up with Scripture. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, he says in verse 5, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So I now realize that maybe I missed some practical significance of this verse in the past. I understand that, that if I die with Christ, I will be raised with him. That's kind of future tense. And I'm not going to get into, there's so much in here. Um, but there is, this is a, an already and not yet. I'm talking about the already.
1: There's a lot of not yet in here,
0: that we'll be raised with Christ. But I'm talking about the already, the right now. However, this isn't just a logical statement of fact. If I die to sin by renouncing my old life, then I should expect to enjoy the fruit of being resurrected like him. Admittedly, I want a resurrection like his, but I don't want to die a death like his. And so So I I let that thought get in the way, and I I tend to to cling to my old life in many ways. So it's not just identifying with Christ's death, it's experiencing the sacrificial death of my old life in order to enjoy a new life. So I titled this sermon, uh, uh, Living with Christ, I told Martin in my email that it's not very clever. Um, I try to be a little more clever than that. But I... I just, I just thought, thought that's, what that's what this is about. about. Well, I, you, can you can change, change a preposition. preposition. Paul uses the word in more frequently, living in Christ. But I, I think maybe it would be helpful to approach the Christian life as a positive. That's not to say that we should ignore the negative aspect. Jesus taught this as well. He says, unless a grain a brain of, of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So there is, it's, it's a two-pronged, I don't want to say dilemma. It's not a dilemma. It's a two-pronged uh, argument, right? You know, we, uh, we have to die the old self and then engage in a new life, correct? Right? And I, I confess, I know I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know i suppose isn't that the way it is with most sermons many of you know Stephen Shepard, i think i don't know if i've if i shared this story before but we were um but i i tell the same thing, so my wife gets tired of hearing them um she says yeah i've heard that eight times but um yeah now it's going to be nine so steve Stephen shepherd and i were and i remember the place the time and place we were in the jungle in uh in, in peru and we, we had, had taken um a boat a little dugout, dugout canoe and we had gone upstream, upstream to visit to this, this other village. village and i remember being in the tent and, and we were talking and, and we and he said brandy do you, you ever th- feel you like the application of part of your sermon so is like the same part. over and over and over and, and you, know, you know it's, it's like, like You know read your your bible Bible, pray pray, serve serve, love one one another you know it's um um, but i what i'd like to share share with you this morning is 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 in your your focus focus to die to sin sin. in In your your focus focus to pursue uh, is to renounce sin sin. i think if if we focus focus my thought was was, if i focus focus on the newness of life if i try to pursue holiness then perhaps i will not be so inclined to obey the passions of my old, of, of my flesh makes sense right so um the person who unites with christ by dying to sin should bear fruit and so i'm focusing on the fruit i suppose. Paul says in verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. So we're set free from sin to do what? To do, to do good, right? Um, our, our nature is, is, is pulling us to, to satisfy our, our passions, our lust, our greed, right? Our comfort. And, and so if we're released from that, then we're, we're free. We're not at liberty to sin. We're at liberty to do good is what Paul, I think, is saying. So a significant change must be that as a new man, I am not a slave to sin. In other words, I am not controlled. Sin doesn't control me. I can't tell you how many times I've lamented, and I've talked about it here, and the few times that I've been here at Stonebridge over the last few years, um, year and a half, year, whatever it's been, I've lamented that I can't stop sinning. You know paul says you're you're a new new creature creature in christ Christ. well if If i'm I'm so so new why do i keep sinning and i complain about it and i i I went to calvin as i often do his commentaries are great and he says and yeah verse seven right so verse seven if you have your bibles for one who has died has been set free from sin and i'm like why haven't i been set free from sin totally or mostly right and, and Calvin says, it's, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. He says, it's, and this is a phrase, it's vain speculation that you don't find yourself to be of the number of those who have wholly crucified the flesh. Are you getting that? I know it's hard sometimes the quotes. Vain speculation that you don't find yourself to be of the number of those who have wholly crucified the flesh. For this work of God is not completed in the day in which it has begun us, but gradually goes on and by daily advances, and by daily advances is brought by degrees to its end. And he quotes and interesting, he runs to verse or two First Corinthians four, which is what I thought about. Myself, because that's what I've talked to you about before. Therefore, the apostle says, "We do not live, lose heart, because inwardly we are being renewed day by day."
1: God is designed, God, and I've talked about this. God didn't design it that we
0: would just be, "I'm sinless," or "I don't desire to sin anymore." Rather, we progress. He began a good work of you, is you know, is he's perfecting us? He's perfecting you. He's perfecting, you. He's perfecting me but part of his plan and part of his economy is that we depend on him and that we go to him day by day. We're being renewed day by day. Now, if we have died with Christ, we will believe that we will also live with him. It's not solely about learning to not sin, but really learning how to do good, to actively pursue holiness. So my goal of not being controlled by sin's passion should be accompanied by me seeking to do what's right. Um, Remove the bad and replace it with good. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. him. He says we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. We have been united with Christ. Paul uses the phrase, in Christ, a lot. I mean, it's, if you were to search it you know, on the computer, he uses it over 70 times. And that's just in Christ. He also says with Christ, so he uses a different preposition. He says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ, to do what? For good works. The aim of, his, of this transformation is good works. It's not that the Catholics, Roman Catholics, were far off. They understand the importance. It's, it's a matter of emphasis. And it's a, it, I think they're wrong it, if I have to look at the whole scheme of things. But as I read through the arguments, it's hard to argue with 100 scripture verses. They have a lot of good scripture.
1: They do say,
0: say they were saved by grace. It's the but that they put in there. They're just unwilling to think that we're saved solely by the righteousness of Christ. They think that we have to add to it somehow. And that's where I think they fall short. So the aim of this transformation, it seems, Paul is saying, is good works to bear good fruit. And so I think the helpful path is to pursue the new life. An essential approach, perhaps, is to be spiritually minded. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, Paul says in Colossians, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, There is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. And... We all want to be happy, don't we? Right? And I think that if we ought to remind ourselves to, to move in that direction, to know that union with Christ, that a newness of life will bring us joy, that doing good will bring us joy, that we'll get more joy from doing good than by satisfying our own sinful passions. And that's a transformation that the Spirit, Spirit will help us with. We pray, we ask, and expect to receive. I want to move in that direction. To what extent is everything in my life connected to Christ? And when my mind is idle, do I think, what do I think about? And that can be a good gauge of where we're going, what's important to us. My time in Romans 6 has challenged me to evaluate how I spend my time and to consider consider what what brings me the greatest joy and and we all all want joy we really do and we we do do what we we most want want. that's what 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 jonathan edwards says in a nutshell he says we do what we most want to do and so So what what do i most want to do if what i most want to do is to please god i need to remember we need to remember that it will bring us joy and that's what we really want isn't it so In your battle to fight sin, sin, I'd say say, pursue pursue holiness. holiness.